Welcome to Inflection Point Conversations. I'm Michelle Obeda, an art director at Shimahara Visual. This series emerged as a reaction to the highly disruptive AI revolution that's reached an inflection point within our industry. We hope to take a deep dive into this revolution. Join us. Today, I'm speaking with Hassan Regab. Hassan is an Egyptian interdisciplinary designer with an architectural background, currently living in Southern California. He's a professional computational designer and conceptual artist and has great expertise in exhibition design, product, textile and furniture design and architectural construction. Hassan gained recent notoriety with his creative and fantastic AI-generated images that combine architectural aesthetics with environmental, social and political messages. Since then, he has started his own design studio, integrating architecture, art, and computational design. Welcome, Hassan. For a bit of a while since I've seen a lot of your mid-journey images on Instagram and LinkedIn, and digging back into them, I think that they stand out for, for a reason. Um, and I think that your images and your artwork has been gaining traction for a reason. And I'm wondering if you if you have an idea why maybe, because I think a lot of people have put mid-journey images online um, and it's not kind of had the same reactions. Do you have an idea why yours have become quite popular? Um, I think it's a mix between being lucky and being truthful, if I have to be honest. So... But I also like, I, I think like I was lucky to be, to kind of store this just right at, before the boom of the whole mid-journey AI thing, just right after. So I know a lot of artists who, who have been working and exploring AI since like 2017 and 2018, and they are just amazing artists. But at that point, when I started, like there was hardly anybody that was trying to use like mid-journey in architectural explorations. There were a couple and I was really inspired by their work. I, like I didn't invent it. But the thing is, like I was really trying to kind of push the boundaries and just like test how to get, um, I don't know, how to push the boundaries of the AI to push my own creativity, just like to challenge myself, but also challenging the tool. And um, I don't know, I, I think I, I was working really, really hard, like uh, at the summer, like almost like every waking hour that that I'm not working like on, on my, with my old company or I'm not taking care of my son or I'm like, I'm not spending time with my wife, then I'm hundred percent like exploring like these tools. Um, and again, this was this part of luck where my things kind of started to be picked up, uh, you know, on social media and one thing led to another, like there is no reason to kind of explain well, like why my work kind of stands out because I, again, I, when I look at my work, I just, I was like try to give myself credit that I work hard, but also the luck factor is a big key player in almost the success of everybody. So, yeah, the the messages, I guess, the kind of like um, the sort of um, like the messages about um, you know, climate change and about war and about homelessness and about different issues that um, I feel like you're expressing with your images kind of goes past the method of using AI to do them. You're, you're making great point in, in, in an interesting, different way. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, about your interest in the different sort of themes. 
Yeah, I, I think so. When I like, I'm an architect and I'm a designer, right? But when I, but I'm always, I always had interest in art in general. Like, I always like really admired it. I had several attempts in the past to create, like, to do generative arts or even sketching or do calligraphy. But I've never had like a professional career as an artist. Uh, so like all my research was like part of like a hobby to know like, uh, you know, like what, what is abstract expressionism or like what was like the Islamic art and what does it mean and what was the uh, art in the ancient Egyptian architecture, like, uh, sorry, in the ancient Egyptian times. So that was like really interesting for me. And when these AI tools came, I instantly understood that these are not architectural tools. These are not architectural softwares. These are artistic softwares. So I was really trying, I'm still trying to use them in this manner because I also believe that architecture, like the modern practice of architecture has lacked like the human input that is that you that you once had that was from art and was from like creating something that is beautiful rather than creating something that's 100% efficient or, you know, like that needs to follow certain structure, needs to follow the budget. Um, so, yeah, I think in my work, it's I, I believe that I'm trying to be very true about what I create. I'm always trying to address things that mean something to me, uh, regardless of like social media, regardless of where, what this will take me. When I started using AI, I really had no idea why I'm doing this. I'm just doing it for my own, you know, for my own satisfaction to just reflect, like using the tool to ref to reflect on myself and reflect on how I see the world. So yeah, everything that I'm discussing is something that's, it's coming from inside of me, basically. Even if I'm dealing with, uh, if I'm addressing like something, a situation that's happening in the world, it's actually not I'm addressing that particular situation. I am trying to express how I feel about it. And it's really interesting that I also see architecture and urban design and design in general is something that's usually it's it's so it's surrounding our lives and it has a big impact on us. So you can everything can can be expressed through space and geometry. Um, now mixing that with art is something that's really interesting, and I just couldn't do it before because there wasn't AI. And now that there is, I'm really keen on exploring intangible parts of both art and architecture by like their their own mix and understanding myself through that whole process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And um what what got you interested in like fabrication and facade design and computational design in the first place? Yeah. Yeah, I think that like brings brings me back to my <laughs> to my days like in college. Uh, I I think at one point, I was probably in the second year, I was very dissatisfied with the curriculums that I've been studying. And it was just, and I always thought like architecture is more than solving like plans and sections and like designing like this little facade. And I always wanted to do something that's really interesting, but I didn't know what to do. And then I think that there was, um, there was a... Uh, a thesis defense, like a master a thesis defense that one of our teachers that was giving, uh, it was for public and I there was another lecture that I needed to attend, but I just decided to skip that and just like attend this, the other one because it seemed more interesting. It was in 2008 and uh, the thesis was by one of my teachers called Ahmed Hussein. 
And he, the, this is, was the first time that I ever heard about the, the term parametric architecture, like mm -hmm. that you can, like, instead of dealing with like the traditional modeling techniques, you can actually delve more deep into what it means to, to create a line or a point and how to add mathematical formulas to your designs to create something that just wasn't before. Uh, and I remember I got hooked immediately, but I didn't know how to do computation, parametric design. I didn't know any coding. And at that time, YouTube was not very big. There wasn't a lot of resources, especially in Egypt. Um, so in 2009, again, I was very lucky that one of my teachers was giving a grasshopper workshop. This is 2009 in Egypt. At that point, almost like 10 or 12 people around the world who have heard about Grasshopper. There was nothing. There was no plugins. There, there was no, nothing there. And uh, I remember when I tried it out, I just felt in love with it. That was really great. And um, But again, when I graduated from school, there wasn't much for me to do with Grasshopper because there was not a lot of companies who would hire computational designers. Not a lot of people use Grasshopper. So in order for me to do to use Grasshopper, I had to learn digital fabrication. And uh, to do digital fabrication using CNC machines at that point, because that was the only thing that I had access to in 2011 in Egypt, I decided to make furniture. So that's how I started to combine these things. And then eventually 2015 or 16, I had my own design studio to build these things. And then one thing led to another. And then I came here to the United States and I was looking for a job. I was I was trying to look at any job. Basically, I was I just came here. I didn't know any connect. I didn't have any connections. I didn't study and like in Europe and the United States. But again, I was really really lucky that my company Martin Bros. They was working. They were working on that big project, and they needed people who had expertise in both computational design and digital fabrication. So it was like I was. That's right. Yeah, I was at the right moment, and yeah, that's that's how it came to be. Yeah. And I can see, I mean, knowing that about your background, I can see those kind of influences in sort of uh, the images that you've been doing in your artwork um, in terms of facade design. And I was wondering, do you do you think of like the generative AI tools in terms of being able to design with them or do you think of them purely in a separate kind of artistic form? Uh, both, I guess both, mostly I like to think about them in like this artistic form uh, because they are such an inspirational uh, tools. Like they can really push the boundaries of how do you think about design. However, I'm also using them as like, um, I, I'm just trying to include them in the design processes, but also through inspiration. So sometimes I just like decide to go crazy and design something that, or like to try to visualize something that I know that I'm not going to build because it's very, very ridiculous to be built, you know? because it just needs to be artwork and that's it. But other times there are clients that are reaching out to me who wants to build something. And at that point I'll use AI to generate concepts and then take these concepts and modeling them, you know, the traditional way, the old ways, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, both, I think both are really important for me. Well, so I feel like this might also hit on a point of like what caught, what, what catches a lot of people's attention, what caught my attention with your artwork is the idea or is the way that, um, let's say like facades that you show on a street um, look fantastical and maybe not possible, but also knowing that you um, could design them, they might be possible. So do you, do you feel like you, you play in that boundary, the blurred boundary between what's, what's um, 
just in the imagination and whimsical and what actually could be made? Well, it's because I worked in construction for about like three or four years. So I know that anything that you can visualize is possible, like almost mm -hmm. everything, everything. There's a solution for everything. You can optimize everything. So uh, it's not a problem of like fabrication. It's actually more of a philosophical question of, of like, should I really build that or not? Is it really worth it? Like, yeah. For me, when I create these images, I don't really intend to build them, but it's more like of a statement or like to try to judge these buildings. Yes, they are ridiculous. They might be beautiful too, but when I try to, if I wanted to try to implement them in the real life, it would go like way much different because now there are many other elements that you have to deal with, you know, like even like visibility or like if, if they even make sense to be built. Not everything beautiful needs to be built in my opinion there is like this balance yeah you should create things that are beautiful but again you need to be sensible to other uh architectural or like other or the whole context about architecture so architecture is not only about beauty but beauty is also still missing from today's architecture that's basically the the game that i'm trying to play at just like you know like reality versus fiction and like beauty versus why to create that yeah yeah and i also see like um like the aesthetic um of your images there's like nostalgic and futuristic um in that do you feel like that's also part of like why you go for those aesthetics uh, i'm mainly exploring the aesthetics to kind of understand what what i like and you know and i'm also criticizing like what i like and what the world likes right now and I think there is like this hidden, I don't know, I don't want to say war, but like kind of fights between styles and ideologies that kind of affecting what we're building. And the sense of nostalgia is actually, of course, because I'm Egyptian. And I also like, at, while I'm working with AI, I realized how lucky I am to be an Egyptian architect because I have a lot of rich history that you know layers and layers of history that can i that i can explore because i've seen these these buildings i've seen these things and kind of i although i don't know much about it because i haven't learned about it in school or anywhere because nobody's talking about them so for me it's kind of an exploration to understand what these buildings meant for the people and how these ideologies formed and changed into what we're building right now and how that can um, affect the future of our built environment. So for me, like having a holistic view of the history of architecture, but not only of architecture, but also of the ideology and the culture that kind of, that you can understand through like history of wars, of struggles, of socioeconomical changes in different parts of the world, uh, of the economical ideas that are now, like that we're living right now. I think all these kind of mix really, really nice together through architecture and they just create something like, I don't know, like yeah, my work might seem a little bit weird sometimes even for me, but it's because it's kind of a reflection of all these things as much as I, as, as much as I can try to reflect on them. It's, it's really complex, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you can already see, um, you can see the influence of, let's say, like, like Middle Eastern architecture in um, some of the images that you're making that kind of 
I guess makes that point really, really easily and quickly, you know. Um, and in terms of your like practice, um, have you found have you found like have you found it difficult to, um in terms of maybe cultural biases in generative AI in terms of the source material? I think I saw I think I like read an interview where you talked about that. Um, and there's like a bias towards Western architecture. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, yeah, I've been talking about that like for for forever now. So yeah, it, it started when I first when I first started using the journey. I was really interested in seeing how, or actually, I'll let you know how. Uh, I'll tell you how it started. I started it by uh, there was a post that I've seen. Uh, it was by Andrew Cudlis. He is like a. I've been following his work at that point. He was is an amazing architect and a digital fabricator, and he was one of the early the earliest people to adapt Midjourney in architecture. That's probably how I learned what is Midjourney. It was through his through Andrew's work, and he was and there was this post that was he was talking about how like the language that we talk to to AI affects the output. So he was comparing that by putting English words and putting Japanese words words. And he can see how, like, he was putting the exactly same thing in different languages. And then he could see how, like, the language kind of affects the aesthetics. So basically, that's like the cultural bias. He's discovering the cultural bias in AI and how the AI tools or AI models understands, understands culture. And then I thought, well, well, this is very interesting. Let's try to do that in Arabic. And I tried, like, to type something in Arabic. It's probably Alexandria, my hometown. And it gave me nothing. Like it didn't understood what's going on. It it was really interesting. And I tried to keep doing it also in English. So I forget like the Arabic. Okay, let's not try try Arabic type now. Let's focus on English. And it still got me nothing. And it got me about three or four months to try to generate something that actually made sense. And that was the the that's the beginning of my series. The city is a tram, where like I have a tram that's like a multi-story tram. And from that point, I was really interested in trying to explore what does the how does the AI work or like what does it understand, and eventually what I've learned is that like AI the AI models are trained on images and most of the images are actually comes from the Western Hemisphere and also like there's a full documentation of um, of the heritage places in places like Egypt but not only Egypt but of course like India probably China but I'm mainly interested in Egypt. And this influence is actually affecting the output of what, what I'm trying to create or what everybody's creating. And I've, I felt really interested in that because this was like, for me, it's like a warning sign because what will happen next with the development with AI, it will be deeply depending on its training. And the AI is like a very fast-moving technology. It's affecting everything that we do and if something was left behind at that moment, that means it will be left behind in the future from everywhere. So if we cannot generate these images right now, if you don't have a good documentation of our heritage and our history, these things will be lost in a post-digital world that we just don't know what will happen, like whether like we will be designing in the metaverse, will how what are the tools that we that the architects are gonna use? Like imagine like five or six years from now. Um, if you are an architect and you're trying to design a building, you won't be using references. You won't be using like AutoCAD or like uh, Rivet. You'll just go to like a platform and tell me, hey, I want to design a building by Zaha Hadid and you'll get the building instantly. 
But now if you want to try to do an ancient Egyptian building, you'll get something that's very blurry that won't be used. So this influence could die because our tools or our um, uh, everything that we're using, our tools, our traditional tools are changing. And with them, our styles were changed too. So I think like bias is really interested to me. I know it's it's important for like the training of AI. And that's why I try to make it kind of, I don't want to say like it make it to make it my mission to try to focus on culture and heritage through AI as an alternative way for other people to try to use it, like to create like fantastical or futuristic buildings or to just reiterate the works of other famous architects. I thought like this is a, a, a different and more interesting way. And I was really happy to see that big, Again, maybe it's not because of my work, but I've seen I I've been seeing these things changing. So now people really are interested more in understanding heritage or like to incorporate heritage into their work, whether AI or not. Uh, even the AI mod, like the the developers of these AI tools, are becoming more aware of the bias, and they are trying to overcome that in so many ways. So I think bias is still an issue, but I think it's. I think we're trying to avoid that. So it's a big flag, but I think it's being addressed. At least I'm trying to address it, I guess. Yeah. And do you feel also like you're trying to sort of um, add to the imagery that is out there in, in a way of like boosting awareness of, let's say, Egyptian historical buildings? Yeah, exactly. But before that, I tried to learn from it myself. Like, I don't believe in the power of influence so much. I don't want to, I don't like to think about myself as an influencer because I'm not still sure about what I'm influencing. <laughs> but for me, it's just a way of exploring my own history and my own identity. And I'm really, I'm really keen on finding answers for myself before finding answers to like the developers or like the people um, who follow my work or who see my work. And I've been learning a lot about like both the history and my own taste and also my own my own self through exploring like different styles, but specifically like my own origins. Yeah. What's um what can you describe to me the the significance of trams in your work? And I know they kind of um are linked oh. to Alexandria where you're from, but um what's the significance for you? Well it's it's huge. I don't know. It's um um, so yeah, I, I was born and raised in Alexandria. I lived there most of my life. That's I, I met my wife there. We got married there. And Alexandria is not a big city. It's really crowded, but it's not very big. And since I was a child, I lived near like the tram. And I really used it to go anywhere because like the tram is like really iconic for the city and Alexandria. Everybody knows the tram. It, it goes through like... Uh, important parts of Alexandria. It's connecting the city, like at least like the old portion of the city, it's connecting it really, really well. Not the old portion, but I mean like, I don't know, like at the time when I was a kid, it was a perfect way to move around. And you can see a lot of people in the tram. It's for me, it's a very emotional place because I used to like ride the tram when I, when I'm with, with, with friends or when I'm alone, when I hear like something that's sad about me or I'm just like, just, riding the tram and contemplating about people, like seeing people, like they are sad or they are happy, you know, like different different portions of people. It, it seemed like a very truthful place for me. And I didn't discover that until like I came here to the United States, maybe because I was homesick. But 
it's very significant. I think if there was one iconic element that kind of resembles how I see Alexandria, it will be the tram because the time that I was there and how I feel that it reflects a certain group of people that I belong to. So it's for me, it's like, I think it's my biggest views, but not in a very in, intentional way. It's just like came to me. I just realized, hey, the tram is beautiful. The tram is, it's, it, it has so much, there's so much intangibility in, in the form of the tram because it's so old. And the people riding there is just, they are so authentic. They are so nice. It's, there's, I don't know, it's, it's beautiful. I, there's so many things that I want to say about the tram that I just can't say. <laughs> it's, it's weird, but it, I, I really love it. Well, have you had a lot of positive feedback from people from Egypt? Like, do you have like Egyptian viewers and things who get got in touch with you at all? Yeah, it's, it, that's what, then that's one of the best things about this series is that, I actually, like a lot of people reached out to me and like they can really relate to the same experience when they saw the images. And that was the first time when I felt like that's what art is all about, is about communication. It's not about what I create. It's about creating something that resembles, that connects people, that connects me with people. So I even remember like there was one, I think there was one lady, I think she lived, she was Greek, I guess. And her grandparents, they lived in Alexandria, and she always heard, heard her mother's, uh, her grandmother's stories about the tram. And when she showed her my pictures, she was really, she really likes it because like, hey, this, this, I can really like, you know, uh, relate to this. She was very nostalgic about it. And to be able to create something that transcends the boundaries of space and time with a person that I really didn't know. And we were from different ages, we speak different language, but they can really relate to that. It's it's i think it's i'm for me it's everything like I, I i don't care about anything anymore just like this connection once i feel like there, there's this connection with a different human being that's i think that's the goal of what i'm doing it's all about connection connection connecting and reaching out to people that i that i don't know yeah yeah that's really beautiful do you mm. feel like that um that using generative ai in particular has made your art more accessible well, it made me make a lot of it, definitely, yeah. And Good. I mean, it even allowed me to create this type of art. I'm not sure if I would ever have the time or the resources to be able to generate this kind of art without AI, both in the sense of like um, allocating time to create the type of art or actually to be able to create many, many variations and exploring many styles in such a short time to allow me to, to get this output. So it's like it's the foundation of what i'm trying to express here like yeah i don't think i would have ever been able to generate that with this kind of theme i would have generated different things of course like i generate different scenes of art but for like this kind of work it would have been i think it would have been impossible to create it without ai definitely ai is definitely changing art as we speak right now um how it will impact art is it go it it can go anywhere but yeah, most like it will change the definition of art. That's the it's it's actually what's doing right now. Um, there was there will be a lot of people that will be able to uh, express themselves through artworks, although they don't have the technical skills. So they don't know how to draw. They don't know how to use uh, like um, you know sketching software like Illustrator or something. Uh, they don't know the techniques, but they will be artists nevertheless. So you will see this. Uh, I don't know. 
or probably we'll see it. We are seeing it right now, like this, um, you know, conflict between traditional artists and tra artists that are using AI and like calling their like calling names, um, calling like each will call their the other names. And uh, the future will be really interesting, in my opinion. I I'm actually like I'm really enjoying like seeing the present. That like when I think about the future, like my idea of the future changes almost every five minutes. Or so, yeah. so, uh, sure. <laughs> so I can ask you again in a month and you might have different answers. <laughs> yeah, tomorrow I'll have a different answer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on the current copyrights um, in place with generative AI? Because I guess that's a big discussion between traditional art artists and art techniques and people who use AI for their art. I think like the copyright uh, issue is, is the same. Like it's a problem of the practice itself, but not the tool or the median. In the in the terms of like, if I want to steal another artist's work, I can't steal it without AI. AI would make it easier, but I can just steal it nevertheless. Like I don't need to, like uh, even like if I like a like a, a painting by Van Gogh, even I, if I don't know how to draw, I can just like print it, you know, just like copy it, just like you know, put transparent paper over a picture and just like try to copy it, and then I'll go my own AI make, make, is making this more accessible but I mean for me copyrights kind of brings a lot like I I, I, all, I always like to take two steps back away from the whole copywriting issue and discuss like what is originality in the first place like does any artist or does any person own their own idea or does any artist own their own art and in that like my answer for that is that nobody owns anything like originality is uh, an egoistic idea that makes you think that you own something or you own an idea, but you actually have copied this idea somewhere because your mind is incapable of creating new things or new visuals. You have to see something and then you can reflect on reflect on it or and make or mix it with a different idea, and that's how you create art. So, new ideas are just evolutions of old ideas. And our, like, uh, putting, like, this copyright thing as an issue, it's just a misinterpretation of our understanding of originality. I, I never considered my work totally my own. I know that it was inspired from somewhere. I, like, most of the time, I don't know where I was inspired from. With the AI, it's actually easier to know where I was inspired from, if that makes sense. And now it will be my own responsibility to try to put my own reflection on it and use it in a in a truthful way and always be clear that hey this this was generated by AI so it's not only mine but also like any work that I did whether I'm using AI or not I don't see it as it's completely mine it's like a collaboration of the entire humanity that manifested itself through me to create this artwork yeah 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 well i have two questions so do you feel like um art created with ai can be original or be creative um and then the other question is um if we're if um if generative ai is using like a like a pool of of source material um do you worry that in the future that that pool will get shallower because there'll be less original new art and things will be created just from what what's online now okay 
maybe I will need you need to remind me about the second question <laughs> in like three minutes. But yeah, for the first question again, like um, what is originality and what is creativity? Mm. These are yep. terms that we need to like determine first before saying that if is AI capable of it or not. Again, yep. for me, AI is just a tool, and however you use it, uh, you will get the output that you're trying to achieve with different uh, tools. Like AI for me is just like a sketch and a pen. It's just like the software. You know, it's just like a new technology. And if like I think in the terms of like being creative about it, that means like that means that. I need to use these tools in a different way than how I used to, to use my, the other different tools. Or I need to create something with AI that I couldn't have created with any other tool otherwise. So for me, like if you want to be, if you are trying to use AI to reiterate something that's already there, that's not being creative. That's just something else. Again, that's not wrong. That's a different use of AI, but you're not being creative with it. Being creative with it means like trying to cross the boundaries of our understanding of creativity, trying to push the boundaries of our understanding of words. Now, the point of originality, I think that's miss. That's I'm not looking to be original. I'm not looking about anything. I don't think there's something that's called originality, even in nature. Like there's nothing called originality. Originality is just, you know, I don't know, is like what somebody will call God. Originality is some so, some one one other thing will call like the Big Bang. Originality is something out of nothing. And that's beyond our comprehension. That simply doesn't, we don't know that. We can prove that in physics. We can prove that in chemistry. We, we just don't know. So how can I prove this in art? doesn't make sense. So yeah, so that's, that's how I see. So in that sense, yes, AI 100% can be creative in levels that no, human, no other human could. So yeah, yeah. What, what about the second question? <laughs> <laughs> the second question was um, was uh, with generative AI using like uh, like like a source, like a data set of you know of images to go from. Um, do you worry that 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 put, like sort of pool will be will become shallow um, if more and more images that are created and put online um, are just being generated like a feedback loop? I've heard it described. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the whole feedback loop is always contextual. So, like, if we are looking at the let's because, like, again, because like we both we are both architects, so let's talk about architecture and let's talk about how architects are designing right now. They are basically like almost hundred percent of architects are using like not hundred percent, but like the the majority of architects are reiterating like two styles. The first one is modernist, like the form follows function. And the other one is the post-digital era Zahadid influence style. That those are or the mix of both. They are not the only styles in the world, but we are just taking that because that's what our context is feeding from. You know, that's how they, that's what they teach in our schools, in architecture schools all around the world over the past hundred years. And that's what you see on social media. And that's what the clients want, right? So the feedback loop, again, is not, again, about AI. It's maybe it will be more, uh, I don't know, you can see when you, when you, when I'm thinking about it right now, maybe it can go in both ways. So if we are only reiterating certain type of architecture or certain type of art, that means that, yes, the, feed, the feedback, loop, feedback loop using AI 
will be very generic. It will be poor. It will just be like, and you can see this right now, actually. Yeah, there are some instances where you can see everybody, everything is looking the same. And that's not really, I don't know, that's not really creative or that's not really like, I don't know. I think the like, like the best uh, outcome comes from variety and variations, I guess. So like the generic styles is not really nice. However, if we are using AI to generate like new forms or new ideas, while on the other hand, we're trying to break the current loop of our understanding of architecture and art, and now you're adding new elements. So now you have a more interesting feedback loop. You now you have interesting pool of ideas that you can train the AI on. So again, it, it goes both ways and it's not a matter of how the AI is being trained. It's a matter of what human beings are creating and how are they are using either like AI or not AI. It's it's all comes down to the human intention and how do you want to use the tool and what they want to create. Yeah. How would you like to see AI being used um, for yourself in the future, in the near future? You mean for my practice, for my own work? Yeah. Um, basically to answer questions that I have about my, actually not to, not to answer questions, but to ask more interesting questions about me, myself and my work. And just to try to go somewhere, like even philosophically or mentally, that is interesting. That kind of breaks the boundaries of society and a world that is, uh, I don't know, that I have a lot of problems with, like the society and the world, you know, a lot of ideas and a lot of ideologies. I think AI for me is a way to try to transcend boundaries of of expression and of language uh either with like with with me talking to different people even me talking to myself or like trying to understand what i'm saying trying to understand what i'm really thinking about i have a lot of questions in my head and using ai is a way to answer some of them or actually to change these questions in more into more interesting questions and that will bring like a new pursuit, new personal pursuit and like jump on it. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll be, I'll be able to like ground myself or put myself in a center of practice that is about exploration, uh, mainly personal exploration, but if this could be extended into like a professional uh, thing where I can communicate and show artwork and build things that will be great too. Yeah. And what about your, your process in terms of like text, you know, like kind of text prompts, um, that you use to help generate images that either you have in your head or that you start exploring. Do you, um, do you find that you need to, to explore for quite a while to get images that, um, that you're looking for or um what's your process like do you find that you you sort of get halfway through of you know generating hundreds of images and then find it takes you somewhere that you um didn't expect yeah the process is pretty chaotic and it's pretty chaotic because again there's no playbook to how the thing like is going so i'm trying to kind of put my own uh process or like way to deal with the tool but whenever I have a process, there will be an update or a new tool, which I need to change my process almost entirely. So it's a really, it's a messy process, but in the heart of it, it's all about exploring potentials or like pushing an idea that I have in my mind. So I'm not, I, I usually don't try to approach AI to come up with a certain idea that I, that I, that I have. 
but to try to explore it further and just like push it further. The process of it, it could change depending on the software or depending on the time that I'm doing it. And it also depends on the idea and how complex is it and how it is it, the reference of these ideas of this idea is available in the data set. So sometimes I'll, it will take me like three or four months to generate one image that I really like about a certain idea. Sometimes it, it's not, most often I, 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 I am unable to generate a lot of things that I want to generate, unfortunately. Like what you see on my Instagram is just like, I don't know, like 10 or 20% of my total work. Um, but sometimes I just get an image in five minutes because like I have an idea, I have an interesting idea and I just like try to uh, put it down and then it comes out like really cool and like, okay, I'll like this now. Maybe I'll revisit this like in the next two or three months, but for now I'm good. So, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a messy process. I hopefully it, I can like, I'm, I think I'm at the point right now where I'm trying to reshape it and like trying to kind of understand what I'm really going with it, but it's a continuous exploration, so I don't know if it will ever be a solid process that I will follow for the rest of my life. So, I don't know. Yeah. Well, do you feel like um, also um, your process of using these tools is also you learning how to how to prompt or like how to get um, like the language to use, for example? Like, do you feel like you're the one also learning? Oh, hundred percent. But the problem is, it's like the process is changing because the tool is changing. So, right. like. Yeah, and it's yeah, and it's kind of comes to a conflict where like sometimes, like with the older models, for example, like with Midjourney, it was really hard to to do right prompts. It was really really hard, and you needed a lot of like you need to be very disciplined about the prompts that you're putting. Uh, but the results were really interesting. They were really amazing. With like uh, especially Midjourney, as it's like it's moving forward, like the prompting becomes really really easier, and the images are more strict. Uh, so it's really easy to get what you want. But again, like if you like to get something that's really interesting, it's becoming harder. So you have to change the way that you used to do the prompts and you have to try different variations. So yeah, I'm definitely learning. However, everything that I'm learning is con is constantly changing. So it's like I'm in a process of like learning and unlearning, learning and unlearning. And um, yeah, it's, it's weird. You find <laughs> it, that... <laughs> it's weird that it's stressful, but it's interesting again. It's really, yeah. it's a challenge. So uh, I enjoyed that challenge. Yeah. Have you been using that runway for filmmaking, for example? I, 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 I use it a little bit, but I don't really like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit difficult to get. Yes, I feel like it's very, it's still quite early stages, right? Because um, I tried it out a little bit um, and found it a little bit hard to get. Uh, I I probably didn't try it like enough to learn how to get results that I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, I, I have been trying. Yeah, I don't think I have tried very hard with Runway, but again, it all depends on what you want to create. So Runway might be a great tool to generate um conceptual movies based on like characters or like animation, animation character, or even portraits of people. But when you try architecture, it's not great. And uh, you need to be very specific about what kind of architecture that you want to create. And you also need to be very specific uh, about like um, what art that you want to add into your video. So there's like, there is not a lot of controls. I mean, there are controls of motion or of everything, but there, the controls are not really... I don't know, they're so up in the air and it's not good with architecture. 
So I'm re I really like animation. So like I'm, but I really like stable diffusion. Basically, anything that's kind of stable diffusion based is mm. is great, uh, and it's much better than runway. Yeah, yeah. At, at least for ask, me, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask what what software you use to create your? You know, the looks like it looks like animated stills, like in particular ones, like for example, I like I saw on your Instagram like a building that's sort of dancing. Um, what software do you use to create these kind of animated sets of stills? Oh yeah, so uh, it's it's mainly Stable Diffusion. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So there are different plugins for Stable Diffusion. So there's like the Deform plugin that I use that to create um, um, animation of buildings that kind of changing really really quickly or interiors that changing really really quickly. But for like dancing buildings, that's it's also stable diffusion, but that's like a process called image to image, where you have a video and then you like uh, you you try to like do a little bit of post production to that original video of a person moving or dancing, and then you break it down to frames and then you put that into stable diffusion and try to control these through prompting or through other methods like control net. Uh, so yeah, basically, yeah. there are other tools like uh, Warp Fusion, but it's also stable diffusion based. There's also animated def, which also stable diffusion based. So, yeah, I mean, for me, stable diffusion is uh, is great, yeah, much better yeah. than runways. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a lot more complicated to to use. <laughs> I it, feel it's like a, yeah. your computational kind of software background um, helps you possibly. Well, I, I I really hope that it helps me more, but it takes me a like it takes me a while to be able to even set up the, the the tools on my on my computer. Like I remember, it took me about um, to install Automatic Eleven Eleven on my on my computer. It took me like one month or so to figure it out, just to have the software installed on my computer. And like, there's also like the ConfUI, which is uh, a plugin that's like stable diffusion, but it it's a node based, so it's like Grasshopper for AI. It also mm -hmm. took me a big a lot of time to just be able to have it on my machine you know there's a lot of like like uh, you know i've just like when i install it there is an error and i i can hardly read the error in the code i'm not i'm not great with coding i know a little but i'm not great with coding so i'll try to take that error try to look it up and there will be like three or four people in the world that have faced that problem and they try they try to debug it and you can't so it's it's it's, it's really hard to use these tools like but again, like my journey is really easy. But yeah, as the more that you get into it, you need to be a little bit tech savvy and you need to be persistent. You know, you need to really, I want to do it. I want to install it. And sometimes it's frustrating, but but it is yeah. what it is. I could see that Comfy AI was was a good one. I tried it, but I feel like I tried it like like a child playing with a toy and threw it out of my pram. But <laughs> I feel like uh, the more I see um, other tools, I feel like yeah, I understand that like the control net, stable diffusion based ones are they, but they but they take they need time and maybe also a bit more of coding knowledge than I have. <laughs> yeah, but I get, yeah, but like uh, you know, like the harder the thing is, the bigger the reward, I guess. True. It's very true. Yeah. Well, um, we're, we're getting to the hour. I wanted to just to sum up, thank you so much for joining um, and coming on to have a conversation with me about this topic. Um, I really love your artwork. Lots of people that I know uh, were very excited that I was going to be talking to you. So um, I can't wait to share this with them. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for sharing your artwork. I know that you know, your idea of, of making this art is to connect 
and to make people understand your thoughts and your feelings and and I think it's done that really successfully so that's amazing <laughs> and I can't wait to see what you're making in the future thank you Michelle yeah I truly appreciate it yeah I, I think like like yeah I try to connect with people but my work is more to connect with myself I guess just like to reiterate that and you saying that means a lot to me like I really appreciate like you saying that to me that it's it's again it's all about connection it's all about connection is everything so I really appreciate it and I really enjoyed the talk it was really fun so thank you for having right. me again yeah